William Golding was a humanist. Golding felt that mankind had evolved, had gotten, come to age, basically, gotten to a place where now they'd gotten all of their uh, human adolescence out of their system, basically, and now they would solve all the dilemmas of the world, that humankind would usher in the, the utopia that we've all been looking for. This was Golding's mindset, it was his understanding, until World War II struck. In 1954, Golding wrote his famous Lord of the Flies. And if, I don't know if you remember the book, maybe you saw the movie, the, a plane full of, of British choir boys kind of went down and all the boys survived on a, a deserted island. When you first see them, they're marching in, in perfect sequence, wearing their robes, singing beautiful multi-part harmony across the beach. But in time, something goes wrong and they change their choir robes for war paint they begin to fight with each other. There's power struggles. And they start worshiping what they refer to as the beastie. They were up at one part of the, uh, the island, a uh, taller part of the island, and they, they saw it swaying in the trees. And they weren't sure what this was, but they, they ran and they, they began to worship and sacrifice toward the beastie. It was this evil something out there that could hurt them. And so they, they lived in fear of this. Well, at one point in the book, uh, one of the, the boys goes up to that area and he notices the beastie swinging in the trees and then he realizes that it was the, the pilot from the plane who ejected and he was been killed, but his parachute is hung up in the tree and he's just, his corpse is just kind of swinging in the, the, the trees. And this boy realizes, the beastie's the pilot. And so he goes and he runs to tell all the other boys, but they're in this frenzied, chaotic worship thing of the beastie, and they end up killing him, uh, what Golding is saying through his book is that there is an, a beastie, there is an evil, but it's not out there. The beastie is, is mankind, the beastie is us, the beastie's in here. Uh, one of the recent polls, 57% of Americans uh, believe, still believe in a literal devil, uh, 28% certainly believe there definitely is not one. But more telling is a, 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 a survey on the same subject, but, but taken by age group affinities. The millennial group, it's the youngest group um, surveyed, they're kids, people born between 80 and, and uh, 2000, basically. Uh, 40% of them say there absolutely is no such thing as a devil. The devil is just a metaphor for evil. And it's assumed that that... Uh, understanding will progress and each age group will continue to not believe in the devil more and more until it's, he's all relegated to simply, you know, just primeval thinking and uh, uh, just evil fairy tales. But Job 1 and 2, you read Job 1 and 2, uh, paint a different picture of the devil. And so you're kind of wrestling with a goldenish mindset or you, you got what scripture says and this whole Job 1 and 2 raises a lot of questions in Christendom. You know, is how much is Satan involved in the things that happen in my life? Is that like just a literary thing or does this really happen? Does this really happen today? Is Satan really involved in my life? It seemed like he was real busy during the time of Jesus, you know, when their brothers are demonized, it seems. But uh, my brother may be too. But, but still, here, it doesn't seem to be that big of a thing. And, and is it gone away? And If Satan's involved in my life, how can I stop him from being involved? All kinds of questions. And society, of course, we've got a lot of answers to it. That The church traditionally, the church 
The church has a lot of answers. Books and seminars and conferences and um, prayers and rituals, all kinds of things you can do to, to devil-proof your life, basically, to make sure the devil doesn't have anything to do with it. He's all done. And he can't get near you. Um, on top of that, it kind of messes up our thinking a little bit, but on top of that, I'm guessing if we took a survey, everybody in here would have seen either Bewitched or Twilight or Friday the 13th or The Exorcist or you know Buffy the Vampire Slayer or, or uh, Abraham Lincoln the Vampire you know, Everyone's killing vampires. Abraham Lincoln the Vampire Killer. And uh, we've seen all these things and Hollywood's got their version and that cannot not impact and influence us. And so we put all this stuff together and we get this wild, heretical understanding of, of, of the demonic, of hell. Um, and what we want to do this morning is we want to take those first two chapters of Job and use that kind of as a springboard to just address this topic because it's important that you and I are thinking biblically about this subject and not allowing the entertainment industry or the other places where people are just trying to make bucks, shape our, our thinking. We want God's Word to shape it. So if you have your Bible, I hope you do, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And there's a gazillion places we can go to in Scripture because this is not a, a, a rare topic in, in Scripture. But Ephesians chapter 6. Let's dig right in. We're going to start in verse 10. Paul coming to the end of his uh, letter to the Ephesians, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's a command for you and I to be strong in the Lord. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, Satan is is real, and he's probably not the way Hollywood is going to depict him to us, but he's real. And we have, according to C.S. Lewis, one of two great dangers we can fall into when we talk about Satan. Either A, we give him too much attention. Maybe you've met folk that they're obsessing about Satan, and they're reading Satan into every cough and every clink in the car engine. You know, he says, Satan's doing this. Also, Satan is, is a great scapegoat, because I can blame Satan for a lot of my own ignorance. You know, I'm negligent, I fail, I falter, and who am, who am I going to blame? Satan, what can I do? You know, I tried, you know, it's Satan, what, I can't beat Satan. And he gets blamed for a lot of stuff, and I think sometimes stuff that he didn't do, that it's, it's our, our issue. And so we, we, we focus too much on Satan. We can certainly be there. Uh, the second danger is, is to dismiss him as an irrelevant issue. You know, we read the stories in Scripture and think, oh, ha, ha, okay, and let's, we'll, we'll deck out our kid at Halloween with the red tail and the pitchfork and stuff. But, but he doesn't have relevance. And I, it amazes me how many Christians say, well, they don't believe in the devil. And I just want to stop and say, whoa, whoa, I mean, if you believe in God, if you believe in the Bible, you kind of have to go there. Jesus believed in the devil. In John chapter 8, he's talking to the Pharisees, and he's contrasting uh, God the Father with the devil. And if the devil's just a metaphor for evil, then I guess God the Father's got to be just a metaphor for good. You can't have your cake and eat it too. So you want to ask people, listen, if Jesus believed in the devil, and you're deciding not to, help me understand 
Who put your, you in charge? How can you determine what Jesus, you know, the truthfulness of the things Jesus said? Well, I think this is what's true and this is not true. On what basis do you make that judgment? Jesus believed in this. And so it's important, again, that we look and see. Now, here's the, the Christian dilemma. Again, we say, well, yeah, okay, I believe in Satan, but if God is sovereign and good and holy and loves me, and if Satan has to go get permission every time he wants to come into my life, bother me a little bit, which I think that's biblical. That's, we see that in Job 1 and 2, certainly. And if no temptation has overtaken me, but such as is common to man, and God will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I'm able, and if the devil's a defeated foe, and if the, the, the devil is just a, a toothless roaring, makes a lot of noise, but he can't do any damage kind of thing, and if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack, then help me understand where's the problem here. It's the Christian thinking. It's, it's all done. It's done. He just makes a lot of noise and scary. But you, you need to know, when Jesus is teaching his church to pray, in Matthew chapter 6, he's only going to give us six things to pray about. He says, I'm going to teach you this. I'm going to make it as simple for you as I can. I'm going to give you six things to pray about. The very last one is, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. I, Jesus says, I know stuff you don't know. And I'm telling you, when you pray, you better pray for deliverance. He's talking to Christians. You better pray for deliverance from the evil one. Then in John 17, Jesus is praying. He's praying for his disciples and he's going to pray for us. And he says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. Protect them from what? Protect them from who? In just a second, he's going to talk about how Judas was not protected from the devil. It's, it's protection from spiritual forces. The devil is real. And he's, he's real dangerous. Now, Paul is writing here to believers. And just look at the terminology that he has here. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Those words, rulers, spiritual forces of evil. These are not wimp words. These are words of power. These are words of authority. These are, these are dangerous words. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world. And on one sense, of course, this is my father's world because God is sovereign. On another level, very, very real level, this is Satan's turf right now. Now, one day Satan's going to be cast, Revelation 22, he's going to be cast, he's going to be locked, he's done, he's going to be in, in the pit for forever and ever. But that's not yet. This is to, you, you, as a believer, are living as an enemy. It's like you're a Christian living in one of the ISIS-occupied towns. You're in a dangerous place is what he's saying. These have power. It's dangerous. It's not to be dismissed. He, he, notice this, he talks about two realms here. It's easy to be a golden-ish uh, type person, and I just believe in what I can see. Uh, but Paul says for believers, oh, now there's two realms. Remember Job 1 and 2. And these two realms overlap, and they, they impact and affect each other greatly. He says, Christians realize that there are two realms. Our enemy is, is not 
things you can see. You know, we think of evil in this world, and we think, well, the problem is, you know, education. We just have to educate them because they just don't understand it. No, if they knew, of course, it would be solved. It was education. Or the problem is really social systems because, I mean, look how they grew up. And anyone who grows up in that environment, bad things are going to happen. So let's just fix the social so that will take care of all the evil or the evil problem is psychological and you know it's just like a, we got to medicate it we got to fix it in some way see those are the solutions and certainly we're holistic very complex sophisticated beings and no question about it education and social systems and even the psychology of it all work but as believers paul says you cannot eradicate a supernatural spiritual evil element if you do, you're never going to fix it. There is a power beyond. We live in two, two worlds. And what Paul is saying to you and I is we are in wartime. Now, there's going to be a day when we drop off our armor at the gates. We go into heaven. It's all done. But that's not yet. And it's, let me ask you, how many Christians do you think have dropped off their armor now. They think, good, I'm saved, I'm all done, it's finished. It's going to be a, a cakewalk, it's a vacation joyride until it gets even better in heaven. Well, Paul says, no, 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 that's not, it. we've got two realms going on. He says that your relationship with Satan has changed. Do you know that, that you've always had a relationship with Satan? According to 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of those that believe not. So you didn't even know it before because you were, you're, 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 you're always blinded. But today, what's your relationship? Well, it's right here. You, you're, you're on his turf. You used to be his booty, and you've been stolen out. He's upset. And so he's your enemy. And I like what it says here. It says, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't want to get, don't want to get there yet. What, what else, what else, what else on, on, on Satan? Uh, notice he's not omnipresent. You know, I hear people talk about, well, that the devil is uh, after me. And I just want to, you know, there's only one devil. And he's not omnipresent. He can't be after everybody, but he's after you. And I'm thinking, my goodness, you, you, you're really that big of a threat to the kingdom of hell that of all the things in the world, you are the one Satan has got to go after. Wow, that's got, oh man, you're, don't, don't give yourself too much credit there is the deal. But notice there are many. I mean, there's a whole army. We don't know how many. Second Peter 2.4 lets us know that, that these are fallen angels. Uh, I'm thinking it's Luke 10, and perhaps I'm getting it wrong. Jesus is talking, and he says that he, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, probably referring back to when Satan, Lucifer, the primary angel, was kicked out of, of heaven. Myriads of angels, according to 2 Peter 2.4, came with them. We don't know how many, but we do know, Mark 5, one guy had 1,000 demons in him. So Satan must have enough of them that he thought he could spare 1,000 for one guy. So, so we, we have a, a uh, look at the, the words, this is a hierarchy. Notice that, that Satan has strategies. It says, uh, take your, your stand against the devil's schemes. You know, Satan's got a gift of leadership and of administration. He knows where he's going. He knows in his 
in his world, the difference between the best and good. He knows what to go after. And so you don't have to worry. He's not just after your health or he's after your money or he's after your, 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 your comfort. He doesn't care about those things. Job 1 and 2, what's he going after for Job? What's the big issue? The big issue is his faith. Yes, he trusts you, but you've protected him. What's he want? Does he want to take away Job's comfort? No, not. That's secondary. He wants to take away Job's faith because he wants Job to, to curse God. And this makes all the sense in the world. Satan knows that we're only around here for 70 years. It's not a big deal. But eternity lasts a long time. And if you are living for Christ, then other people will see your faith. And if you're in Job's situation, you're, you're living as an example of what it means to follow after God. Other people are seeing the, the, the power of, of a life that's given to, to, to God. And other people are listening to your testimony. And other people may be swayed to trust in God as well. But if Job can curse God, it erases all of it. What Satan is after for you and for myself is our faith. That's what hell wants to, to take out. Uh, also, with the schemes, his strategies, his methods, he's got his plan for how he's going to do it. And there are a lot of different ways, according to Scripture, that he goes after us. I only want to mention one this morning, though. I think it's probably his paramount way. That is deception. If you just flip over, Matthew chapter 4. It's one of the reasons why Jesus is uh, confident in the reality of Satan because he had a face-to-face encounter with him at one point. Now, as you look at this, the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4, we don't want to forget of where it's at in in the Scripture, its context. Jesus was just baptized, which means he was just ordained to ministry. He was just uh, empowered, tasked with saving the world. You know, he just really started off his public ministry, just the last chapter. You know, you hear people say, seems like in Bible times there's lots of demonized things, but not a whole lot going on today. Well, part of the reason is Satan's the, the prince of the power of the air, and suddenly the Son of God comes onto his turf. The Son of God, whose job is going to be to take it away from him. So he did unleash a lot of hell at that, that point. If you ever decide to get serious for the Lord, you know this. If you ever decide, I'm going to really seek to serve him and make an impact for his kingdom, you can count on, on attacks. It's going to come. For one, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, notice the the devil's temptation here. Here He says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He says, Jesus, you say you're the son of God. Yeah, maybe you are. Yeah, you're you're pretty nice and all. But if you really are, prove it. I mean, show show me. me. I mean, just if, if if you are, he wants Jesus to doubt his identity. He wants Jesus to doubt who he is. And Jesus answers, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Quotes Deuteronomy. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, I know, I know, yeah, I know the scripture, but if you really are, 
Throw yourself down. He says, for it's written. Satan says, oh, Jesus, I've got, here's my favorite verse. Satan's got scripture memorized. Psalm 91, he starts to quote here. He says, let me quote this verse. It's a prophecy about, about you if you are really the son of God. He will command his angels concerning you and they'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It's a prophecy about you if you're really the son of God. But just prove it. Prove it. What Satan wants Jesus to do is question his identity. What Satan wants you and I to do is question I mean, isn't this true? You're getting ready, you're serving him, and it's becoming, a, there's a huge cost involved in obedience. And so in your mind, you start going, and I hope this is true. Yeah, I just hope Jesus really is God and all, because if he's not, man, this is going to cost for nothing. I don't know if I like that. We're going on the same road. I don't know if it's true. I kind of hope. And, and what he wants Jesus to do is he wants Jesus to, to base his identity on his works, not on the fact that God the Father said he was the Son, but on his works. And he does the same thing for us, right? Uh, if he was really God, he would have done A, B, and C. He would have done these special works. If he was really God, and if he really loved me, and if he was for me, he would have done A, B, and C. This is what Satan was saying. We fall into it. If, in fact, you ever get this kind of thinking, you need to know that hell may have its fangs sunk into your heart more than you think it might. And then he goes on, and he realizes that's not going to work, because Satan, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy again and says, that's not, we're not going on that way. It's written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. I'm the prince of the power of the air. I'm the God of this world. This is mine, and I know what you want, Jesus. I know your idea is a kingdom, and I, I'll give it to you. But do you really have to go to the cross? That's, that sounds painful. You don't need to do it that way. I've got an easier solution, a better solution, a more comfortable, more economic. It's wiser. God just didn't think through everything. And it's just, again, the same thing comes at us with, isn't it? I, I want to serve them in all, but boy, this is going to have a cost involved. We start thinking, what's an easier, cheaper, quicker, more comfortable way to do this? doesn't cost as much. And Satan's whispering into our mind and we're buying it. What, what, Satan could do all kinds of stuff to us, but here's, he wants to, to change our thinking. He wants to, to fill the data uh, improperly. He wants us questioning God. It's what he did with Eve, Adam and Eve. Hath God really said, why do you think? He wants us to question who God is. Assume that our identity is based on this outward stuff. He wants us to think about whether or not there's a quicker, easier, more comfortable way to do it. Because he knows if he can control your thinking, he's got your actions. I mean, the actions are, you're, you're, all your actions will always be based on your thinking. They, 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 just, they just will be. It's the way Satan comes at you and I today, one of his primary ways. You'll say, well, okay, how in the world then do we combat that? What, what do we, if Satan's dangerous, if he's real, he's dangerous, uh, he's, he's coming after my, maybe ways I, I don't even know. I've already fallen prey. What, 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 do I, what do I do? Verse 13, he says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, like that, not so that if the day of evil comes, no, 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 it's going to come. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your, stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. He says, Stand firm, then, 
with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, one of the, Paul is in prison when he writes this, right? And he's chained to this guy 24-7. They're changing over different guys on a regular basis, but he's always chained. So he looks over at Brutus, or whoever in the world he's chained to, and he notices this guy's Roman guard, big old heavy helmet on his head, and he's got this breastplate, you know, ding, ding, ding. he's got the breastplate on, and he's got the greaves on his legs and special footwear, and he's, this guy's, look at that sword on his side. You know, his guy is decked out. And Paul's thinking, this guy's not ready to go to the beach. This guy is not ready to go to family. Maybe he's ready to go to family reunion. No, let's put that, that, that wrong illustration. This guy's not ready to go to Disney World. This guy is ready for war. He says, and he gets a Holy Spirit-inspired thought, that that's the way we're supposed to be. Between, we are in a Life is a battlefield right now. And he's thinking, if this poor soldier guy gets walking someplace, and, and he's not wearing his armor, and he's not wearing his sword, and he gets ambushed, he's dead, he's in trouble. But he knows that people are after Rome, and he knows he's got to defend the Roman Empire, and he knows it's war, and so he's ready. And if trouble comes up in a second, he is there, and he is ready. How many Christians, we would ask, are you ready for warfare? We might say, well, I want to be, maybe, but I don't know. What are you talking about? Paul says, we live, we, we, we have to be alert. First Peter 5, 8. Peter says, be alert, be sober-minded, because your enemy, you got an enemy, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, Peter had a run-in with the devil when he was a, a younger guy. Uh, remember last supper and all of this? And he says, I'll never deny you, Jesus. And Jesus says, ah, Peter, Luke 22, verse 31. He says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And so what, what happens with the sifting process? Does he get sick? No, he denies Christ. No, he's going to come, come back. But he knows the, the foe is real. He's powerful. So he says, be alert. And so the first thing we have to do in combating evil is to be alert. Recognize we're in wartime. We're in wartime. You, you wake up in the middle of the night. You haven't been able to sleep. You go downstairs and uh, you see the computer and nobody's around. And for crying out loud, you can click on this one thing. I mean, you... Doesn't hurt anybody, and man, you just had a long, hard time. You just need some. You just gotta enjoy a little bit of life, and it's not gonna bother anyone anywhere. Be alert. Would you recognize that Satan's right there? It's a trap. You, 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 you're talking to somebody. You're hanging out with some friends at school, and suddenly you want to be with these guys. They're great guys, and then they suggest that you do something that you know probably you shouldn't do. So be alert. You're you're hanging with somebody, and all of a sudden they start to gossip, and you know as you're listening to this, this is not right. Be alert. Satan's traps are right there. The first thing he says as far as how we combat, be alert. Be alert. Second thing, it's with the the armor. We're not going to go through all the pieces of the armor, except to say this. All of them, I believe, reflect behavior. They, they reflect an action. And Paul's saying, you're, all the way you live your life, from your head to your foot, live it battle ready. Don't have any part of your life where you've given over to Satan. Let me give you an example. Next text. 
Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven it in the sight of Christ for your sake. Why? Just because we should be forgiving people because forgiveness is nice. No, in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his scheme. Sometimes Some of us are unaware of this scheme. If you hold on to bitterness and you don't forgive, and maybe there's somebody you've sure forgiven a long, long time ago, but you're just not forgiving. It's not an issue if you can't, it's you won't. Paul says, you have fallen into the devil's trap. You have asked Satan to be a part of your life. It's taking the edge off any effectiveness you, you might have. Next text. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. When you have that unresolved anger and you're just... Paul says, this is why you got to resolve it. Not so you have nice interpersonal relationships. Because you have fallen to the devil's trap. Let it go. Resolve it somehow. Next text. He's talking about elders. And he says, he must not be a recent convert or he may be conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. We can go on and on. What he's just saying is our actions invite hell in. You know, I'm not, I wasn't going to give this illustration because it's kind of sensational. I'm not even sure what I think about it still. So just take that as, as a, a caveat. Uh, years ago, working with youth, came across uh, uh, a couple of girls individually, and my buddy said, you know, I think these girls are demonized. I said, well, how do you know? So anyway, so we're talking, and this one girl, her eyes roll back, and a strange voice starts coming out of her mouth and everything else. My friend is talking. This thing is saying it's a demon. And my friend asks, I thought this was very telling, said, what right do you have to be in this girl? And the, the demon starts saying, well, because she has lied here and she lies here, she lies all the time, blah, 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 blah. Start telling us all of her dirt. And she's also into the Ouija boards on a regular basis and on and on and on. And it seemed that the devil had the right, the demons had the right to be a part of this girl's life because of what she was doing. We think sometimes, oh, sin's not too bad. I'll just ask forgiveness later. Whenever we embrace what scripture said, don't embrace we invite hell to be a part of our life. Don't think that Satan can just kind of sneak up on you and jump into your life and take you over. You invite him in. If he's a part of your life, it's only because you have invited him in. And so Paul says, to combat him, don't give him a stronghold. Don't give him a foothold. Don't give him any ounce, any inch of your being. Uh, wear the armor. Live right. And he says, says think right. This is verse 17 where he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Again, this is the Matthew 4 thing. Remember Matthew 4, whenever Jesus combated Satan, he quoted scripture. He, didn't, he wasn't in a place where he could say, you know, I think there's a verse somewhere. I mean, let me go home and I'm going to check out the scroll and I'm going to find, I think I know where it is. And I'll be right back. He didn't have time for that. If he didn't have God's word at fingertip, Ability, he was going to, humanly speaking, from human perspective, he'd have been toast. The, the, the guard, if he's walking home without his sword, and he gets tackled from behind by other guys who have a sword, he's going to be toast. Uh, 2 Corinthians, next text. 
It says, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as angels, apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. A primary way Satan wants to... And notice these guys. These guys are not sporting pentagrams and kind of like just you know in a cove in some place. These guys are teachers. These guys are, are teaching the Bible, saying, thus saith the Lord. But they're saying things that the Bible really doesn't say, but they're claiming that it does. I'm not going to name names, but the airways are full of folk. Television and radio and, and, and print. You just have to be very careful who you, you read because there are messengers of Satan who are out there to try to get you to think the wrong things. Get you to always take it to the word of God. Take it the word of God. You know, I'm told, I don't know if this is true, but it makes a nice illustration. I'm going to share it anyway. Uh, that when a, a baby zebra is born, I'm told, that uh, for the first 48 hours, the mother stays directly in front of this thing. I mean, it may try to turn and look, and she just constantly puts her body in front of this, this baby zebra so that it can understand her stripes. I'm guessing that I'm told the stripes are different. It's like, it's like fingerprints. They're all different. They look the same to us because they're all zebras. But to them, they look different. And what the mommy knows is when the herd is attacked by a lion, she doesn't want the baby stopping and going, okay, let me see. Now, they're all running away. Now, which one was my mom? Was she over? She looks, oh, I think she, no, he needs to go. He needs to follow her and take off or he's going to become lion lunch. And in the same way, if we don't know our Father, we don't know the truth when that time hits us. Because again, it's not gonna, it's gonna sneak up on us, it's not gonna announce that it's coming, so allow you to go home and get prepared and ready. When it hits, if you're not ready with the truth, you will become a spiritual POW. You, you just will. And maybe you're already there. The wild thing is with spiritual POWs is they don't even know it. Unless you're in a coven, unless you're in this hyper hyper occult lifestyle, you don't even know it. All you're, you're just going through life, and it's what it is, and, and uh, you, you don't even know that you are. But you can be set free. Opponents must be gently instructed in hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, so that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. See that they're there because they don't have a knowledge of the truth. And if you're there today, the way you escape is not an exorcism. The way you, 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 you escape is not through any special ritual stuff. The way you escape is through a knowledge of the truth. And if you have the knowledge of the truth, you will escape the snares of, of the devil. So again, let me ask you, we don't push that people spend time in the Word of God or listen to the Word of God just because it's something to do. Because Paul says that, that you have to be alert, you have to live right, but you have to think right. You have to have your mind enmeshed, and you have to have his thoughts uh, re replace your thoughts, and you understand. He gives us one final thing. You're going to be alert, live right, think right, and pray right. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. With what mind? With what mind? Well, what he just said, right? The whole, the whole two realms and the, you got an enemy thing. And with that in mind, now let, me, let me ask you. You got a, a kid, boy or girl, they're in the military. Uh, my guess is that, that uh, 
you are going to pray for them according to their level of danger, right? If they're stationed in Germany someplace, and they're at a high-rise, I mean, military, they're always got a target on their back. I got got that, but they're that. But if they're carrying an M16 uh, in camouflage, knocking down doors in cities in northern Syria, looking for Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS people, if that's where he is, I'm guessing you're going to be praying a whole lot more. Your urgency, your amount of time you're praying, because this person, very high, high degree of danger. And Paul says, for us, for you, for your family, for the church, high level of danger. Pray. Pray for their faith. Pray for their effectiveness spiritually, for the church. One one of the things I want to encourage you with, there's been a... uh, Grassroots kind of movement among among the elders. I, you know, I, I, the elders. I've always I've been here for four years now, just about, and the uh, I've always been impressed with their level of of prayer and commitment to doing what's right and thinking things through spiritually. And we've been through all kinds of stuff in the last few years, but there's a movement today of of fasting and prayer, saying, you know what, we need to take it up a level yet. And so what uh, we're going to do through the month of of October is we're going to fast a day a week uh, for the church. And here's the deal. I want to invite you, please, to join us just for October. Just to take one meal a week to fast. Now, in Scripture, feasting, celebrating, it's a joyful time. You're celebrating, you're grateful, just a fun, exciting time. In, In Scripture, fasting is just the opposite. It's not a manipulative tool. We're going to twist God's arm, make him do stuff for us. It's as joyful as my heart might be over here. It's heavy here. It's, Lord, I just need to bring this before you. I just need to to, uh, demonstrate outwardly what's going on inwardly. If you were to fast one meal a week, just one meal a week, what meal might it be? Think for just a second. Okay, um, Wednesday night, kids are at soccer, nobody's home, so there's working late. That would be a great meal for me to take that time. Uh, maybe Thursday morning I go into work and my meetings aren't to whatever time I can just close the door of my office and be still and quiet breakfast on Thursday that's my day in your head just what meal could you fast on and just spend that time that you'd spend eating just praying Uh, for October will will you join us in the bulletin starting next week we're going to list out what the prayer requests are but for this week, and I think this is from um, uh, Jason Buto, Jason and Justin Beam. Um, but this week, it's personal holiness. You say, God, you know, I've got all kinds of issues with other people. I could tell you all kinds of stuff about them. But, but right now, I just want to focus on, would you search my heart? I mean, I've got blind spots, you have blind spots. And the problem with blind spots is we're blind to them, right? We don't know, but he knows. And so, Lord, would you... Show me. And I would encourage you strongly to open up to Romans 6 and just read 1 through 14 while you're doing that. So cool. Paul goes through the different pieces of parts of your body. And just ask, Lord, my eyes, are they, are they honoring you or no? My, my tongue. Or is my tongue honoring you or is it not honoring you? And seek personal holiness. Seek him. Uh, would you make that commitment so that we can combat Hell, one more thing. He says, Paul says, and pray for me also. 
that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Prayers are for gospel advancement. That when we're done here, and it's going to come a lot quicker than we know, that Erie is a better place spiritually because we were here. That his kingdom has been built because we were here. Because the gates of hell cannot prevail. And so that day, Revelation 22, when Satan is finally taken out of the picture for good, and with him all of the vestiges of a broken world, every tear, every evil, gone, then we'll be able to enjoy. But between now and then, we're in a battle. 